Radio partnership between the Delia Memphian, Crosstown Concourse, and the University of Memphis. We are raised by sound. to you for Faithfully Memphis from the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. Each Thursday morning, we are delighted to have the opportunity to come on here at WYXR to talk about faith leaders uh, in our community and the way that they worship and they praise and they do all the things that make a faithful life. I, I am not Bishop Phoebe. I actually work for Bishop Phoebe, and I am in the studio every single week producing the show um, as the Minister of Communication for the Diocese of West Tennessee. I also work for Church of the Holy Communion, located uh, at the corner of Walnut Grove and Perkins. Um, and pretty much if you've read or heard anything about the uh Diocese of West Tennessee or Church of the Holy Communion, um, I'm, I'm kind of behind the scenes. And I'm just delighted to be in front of the microphone today to uh, talk to you a little bit about what's going on in our community. But first, we're going to start with um, our Lesser Feasts and Fasts, which is usually how we open the show. Um, on July the 6th, um, in our Episcopal calendar, we honor the life of Sister Eva Lee Matthews, who uh, is the founder of the Community of the Transfiguration. Now, what is that? Well, it's a monastic community. Um, and in a minute, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the amazing work that they're doing here in the United States and abroad. But first, let's talk a little bit about Sister Eva Lee. She was actually born in 1862 in Glendale, Ohio. And in fact, her father was a justice on the United States Supreme Court. And she attended Wellesley College. Um, from a young age, Matthews was concerned with helping others in her community um, to an extent that she took her faith, uh, uh, she was the hands of Christ. Uh, she was a devout member of her Episcopal church. And in 1891, Matthew spent some time in Ohio, Omaha, Nebraska, helping the poor and teaching children at a parochial school. She left Omaha in 1894, and in 1895, she traveled with her brother to Palestine, and upon her return to the United States, Matthew authored a book, which was called, aptly, A Little Pilgrimage to Holy Places, and that recounted her trip. But in 1896, she relocated to Cincinnati, Ohio, where she worked at the Bethany Mission House, which is was an Episcopal charitable organization designed to help the less fortunate residents of Cincinnati. And during this time, she met a lady named Beatrice Henderson, um, and the two of them decided to create a new Episcopal religious order. Uh, then the purpose of the order uh, specifically was to assist Cincinnati's underserved population, especially children. 
and in 1898, the Episcopal Church officially formally recognized Matthews and Henderson's order and formally named the group the Community of the Transfiguration. And at this time, Matthews formally became a nun and she became known as Sister Eva Mary. Uh, the community of the Transfiguration remained in Cincinnati for only a short time, and the order soon relocated to um, Glendale, Ohio, which was Matthew's childhood home. Um, and then it slowly but surely grew in through the 1920s. Um, and even though its birth was about, you know, 100 years ago, they, the community of the Transfiguration is still doing incredible work in their local community. Um, last week, um, I had the opportunity to speak with Sister Diana Doncaster, who is a current uh, member of the community of the, of the Transfiguration in Ohio, and she shared with me some of the incredible work that they continue to this day. Um, that one of their major uh, ministries is Bethany School, um, which serves uh, the community in Cincinnati, Ohio. The classes are small, and they serve children, and the teachers are loving and caring, and are it's biggest assets is what Sister Diana told me. Um, their second major ministry is St. Monica's Recreation Center, um, which is actually anchored to St. Simon's Episcopal Church, uh, which one of its former rector rectors, which is their head priest, uh, is was presiding Bishop Michael Curry. So that's kind of a, a cool link to um, our national church. Um, but when the school closed, uh, an extraordinary recreation system uh, center was born, which housed a, or currently houses, a library, a gym, um, and a place where kids can go and just have fun. Uh, Sister Diana told me that one of the anchor tenants and guiding lights of their order uh, is helping kids where they are and uh, St. Monica's Recreation Center is definitely doing that. They also run the Transfiguration Spirituality Center, uh, which offers uh, continuing education to the community. And most recently, this is this kind of left me with my just mouth uh, open with amazement and uh, just devotion for that they're showing. Uh, is that when everything had to shut down last year during the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, one person uh, in their community suggested that the sisterhood make meals to those who were uh, hungry in their neighborhood. And to this day, up to this point, they are providing 4,000 meals each month to their community, to people who otherwise would not have something to eat. And in fact, their feeding and their food ministry has grown to the point where they're, um, they're about to build a commercial kitchen at St. Monica and offer cooking classes to the community. Um, Sister Diana told me that they are just committed to offering food for the soul. And I think that that's something that uh, 
mother, Eva Mary, is probably looking down and saying, good going. I'm really, really happy to see you being the hands and the feet of Christ in this way. So let's leave on a prayer honoring Sister Eva Marie. O God, whose blessed Son became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. Deliver us from an inordinate love of this world that, inspired by the devotion of your servant, Eva Lee Matthews, we may serve you with singleness of heart and attain to the riches of the age to come. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. the challenge all you gotta do is leave it better than you found it it's gonna get difficult to stand but hold your balance i just say whatever cause there is no way you're rounded everyone falls down sometimes but you just gotta know it'll all be fine it's okay Sunday best, which I got to give a shout out to my daughter, Cecile. She's nine years old, and she recommended that we uh, play that on the show today. Um, And I thought it was just a perfect fit as we ease into the 4th of July weekend.
So thanks, CC. Today on Faithfully Memphis, I am delighted to have a good friend and friend of the show, Joshua Narcisse, with me. Um, He, as of yesterday, he is the new director of spiritual care at Church Health. Uh, which is here uh, in Crosstown Concourse, offering services to working uninsured people here in Memphis. Uh, especially, I, I I cannot imagine the work that they have been doing for the last year since the pandemic. Um, and Joshua is caring for their spiritual needs. So, welcome Joshua to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how are you, my friend? (laughs) I am transitioning. That's the word I'm holding on to uh, during this season. Everything from new job to finding a new apartment to entering entering into the new season that I guess we're kind of being pushed into called Mm -hmm. post-pandemic. I'm transitioning, but I'm also... uh, living on the side of trying to live on the side of gratitude. Boy, um, yeah. It's easier said than done, but uh, gratitude is, is a good place to hang out. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what your early life and how you eventually came to Memphis, because <laughs> you're not originally from Memphis. In fact, I, I do know how you got here, but I want you to share the story with everybody who's listening today. Oh, goodness. You want the short version or I mean, the long version? I mean, you're a preacher, so you... you <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> well, you you tell it how you want to tell it, because it's an extraordinary story. Um, I got to Memphis um, because of a lot of folks who held faith for me before I knew how to have faith for myself. Um, if we want to tell the long story. I grew up in the church. I am, um, I was a fi- first a GK, uh, uh, mm-hmm. um, or a PG rather, a preacher's yeah. grandchild. Yeah. And then I was a PK, a preacher's kid. Um, my family who is originally, originally has their roots in Georgetown, South Carolina, had migrated up to New York City, settling in Brooklyn. Um, her mom was born, her sisters, brothers, etc. And my grandfather started a storefront Pentecostal church in mm. Brooklyn, New York, um, mm. and pastored it until he died, along with my grandmother. And she picked it up um, and pastoring it along with one of mm. her friends in ministry, um, who was another woman. And so when I came along, I came into a church that was co-led by two black women. Mm. My mom was the choir director um, mm. and, and music director. My aunt played the drums. My uh, the one of the pastors. Um, husbands play the guitar um i had one of my cousins play the uh, piano and folks it was very much a family church or you were connected some way somehow yeah um and that was really what i was born into that was the kind of faith i was first exposed to faith that was co-constituent with family sounds kind of like a house church but y'all outgrew the house yes very much so i mean very very much house church because i definitely uh for the first Five years of my life lived in the building where the church was. Uh, so it was a storefront, and we lived around the corner in the uh, attached apartment building. <laughs> so you saw how much work goes into it. Oh, my goodness. Please. I mean, it is. I think that when I was growing up, you know, you, you, I was not 
in a family that uh, was that ingrained in the church. But and so it, sometimes it seemed like, OK, well, the place opens up on Sunday morning on Wednesday nights. But now on church on staff at a church, I see good grief that there's so much work that yeah. goes into it every day. And it can be all consuming, mm-hmm. um, sometimes yeah, in be. good ways, and but oftentimes in, in ways that force us to establish some better boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but Boy, that was yeah. a childhood that I grew up in. Um, and then that faith transferred um, into the form of being a, catch this, a Presbyterian. Yeah. So I went from yeah. a Pentecostal storefront church to eventually joining the Presbyterian Church mm-hmm. USA, a congregation in Queens where yeah. my family eventually moved um, became a ruling elder at that church and then eventually entered the ordination process yeah. in the Presbyterian church. Um, and through lots of folks seeing what I didn't see or didn't want to see, mm. because I think I've shared with you before, I was gun ho about being a lawyer. I thought, no, you have not shared oh, that yeah. with me before. I was going I to see be it, a but I'm glad, but I'm glad that you went <laughs> in the direction that you ended up going in. <laughs> Because we I need just, we need y'all in the you in the pulpit. Man, I just knew it. I mean, from like eight years old, my goal was to be a lawyer. I wanted to be like Thurgood Marshall, yeah. Uh, who I found out from one of my um, next door neighbors, who is uh, Annie Miller, who's the reason why I'm a Presbyterian because she yeah. brought me to the vacation Bible school, um, and all the way through, I think. My junior year of college, I was wrestling with God. I kept trying to, neg- I felt like uh, Abraham negotiating for Lot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, God, if you let me do this, I'll do that. So I kept trying to negotiate. Hey, if you let me um, do law school and seminary, you got me. Fine, I'll do this whole ministry thing, but you got to let me yeah. do law school. Yeah. And when the when it finally shook out, I had applied to seminaries. I had applied to law schools um, that had dual degree programs. Mm-hmm. And every seminary acceptance I got didn't match up with the law school acceptances I got. Yep. <laughs> so I had to pick. You're like, okay, now is the time where we're, we've got a decision to make. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to just say, all right, what the heck? I'm going to give this a shot. Because um, I, I did know quite clearly through my college experiences that I, I did have a call to ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I said, all right, God, I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to try you. I'm going to go to seminary. Decided to go to Yale Divinity School. Yes, um, uh, which you're you're sporting your your Yale. I am sporting my Yale swag today, today. Um, and I partly went because uh, I haven't gone to school uh, since we're mentioning Yale. I can't uh, not mention Howard. Yeah, I was going to say. Howard University. Yeah, I was going to give you an opportunity there. Oh yes, I went. To, I went to Howard University for undergrad. And I partly went to Yale Divinity because um, it was a bit closer to home. So it was mm-hmm. only two hours from um, New York than the four. Um, and so went up there and throughout that experience um, wrestled with another kind of decision. Do I want to go straight into a doctoral program or do I want to fulfill that first love and first call, which is parish ministry to the mm-hmm. church? Um, and near my third year the beginning of my third year heard God saying quite clearly you know I called you first to mm. this right mm. and so um, I said well if I'm going to be anybody's pastor I still think I need some more formation yeah. I don't think I'm ready to come shooting right out of seminary mm. into a solo pastor or senior pastor position and through a lot of 
spirit. Um, the day I said, I think I need some more formation, the job posting for the very first faith and health resident yes. um, between Church Health and Mississippi Boulevard yes. posted. And through a lot more grace and movement, um, I was able to uh, be offered the opportunity to come down here to uh, the banks of the muddy Mississippi That's and right. <laughs> begin this journey um, uh, in ministry and what a ride it has been. Yeah. So that's been about two and a half years? Two years. Two, two years. years, yeah. I remember the first time I had, I interacted with you. I was on, uh, a, a, we have a, a common uh, contact who sent out an email to a bunch of folks that said, hey, I've got this friend named Joshua. He just came to Memphis. He's looking for a car. And I was like, good grief. I, I already knew that you had come into town and I was, and I, even though I hadn't met you yet. And I was like, this guy, I, I mean, God bless him. He's going to be learning. He, he's going to be driving in Memphis and now he's got to buy a car in Memphis. So what was that? What was that like? What was that? Because I tell people from, I'm from Memphis, um, but I've spent a lot of time elsewhere that this is a big small town so what was that transition like for you um folks at church health love this story and it is it is pretty funny Um, i am a born and bred new yorker which Mm -hmm. means i did not have a driver's license until days before i came down to memphis tennessee matter of fact i drove to memphis tennessee on a uh, temporary license i took my uh after I got my um, offer letter for the job, I went I think the next week I went to the DMV and applied for a learner's permit <laughs> in between like April and I think June, learned about as much driving as I possibly I could. I know your mom was praying. <laughs> well, funny enough, and to this day, I've still never driven my mom's car, right? Yeah. She's, she's still praying, but I had friends in seminary who taught me and my uh, lovely partner who taught me how to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, which if you ever want to preserve your relationship, do not have oh. your partner teach you how oh, to drive. Don't oh, do that. Oh, my friend. That and put together <laughs> furniture from Ikea. That, oh, my Oh, goodness. my gosh. At Pearls of wisdom. <laughs> Today is actually my 15th anniversary with my oh, husband, Ben. Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. And we learned very early that we are not, there are things that we will do together, raise mm-hmm. a child, buy a house. We will not put together furniture mm-hmm. together and, and, and learning to drive a car. I, I don't yeah. believe that that would have been a wise call either. <laughs> if only I had known. <laughs> if only yeah. I had known. Well, we, you got to make some mistakes. You got to break some eggs to make yeah. a cake. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, but that's how it happened. And, um, yeah, I think I took the test right after 4th of July uh, in 2019 and then hopped on the road to that Friday, hopped on the road that Sunday and by of July and then by, I think, September, I had a car and I've been driving ever since. And I like to give people a warning. If you see a, a blue Chevy Impala doing 85, 90 on 240, that's probably me. Just move out the way. Yeah, just, that's how I clear my head sometimes. Yeah. I'm a, I apologize if I cut you off. Well, you know, you're doing as best you can. Other than driving, what has been, what was it like serving at Mississippi Boulevard Christian Church? In tandem with church health, because you were doing, you've now transitioned into a full-time role at church health, but for 
two years, you've been doing both. Yeah. Sometimes I still don't know how it worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and when I begin to, I mean, and I'm still processing. I think we were talking about it before we began. That I'm, I'm still kind of thinking through and processing everything that's happened. Yeah. Um, because literally yesterday was my last official day of serving both organizations. Mm-hmm. And what a congregation Mississippi Boulevard is. Mm-hmm. Um, to be... I think that the term that's thrown around is a consequential congregation. I love it because it's a congregation that is not content with uh, resting on its legacy because it has Mm. a rich legacy already, Mm. but it's trying to find new ways. I mean, it turns 100 this year. Uh, In November, it turns Mississippi Boulevard, turn 100, um, trying to find new ways to live into what that legacy looks like next. Um, But it is an incredible family of folks. they are. They have some good people at Mississippi Boulevard. I've gotten to connect uh, more more deeply with a small group of them during the pandemic, but it required kind of everything of me. I mean, from worship leadership to behind the scenes worship management to administrative things. I spent a fair amount of time teaching uh, some of our seasoned saints how to use technology, yeah. which. <laughs> I'm, I'm unsurprised that that was part of the role. Um, yeah. A lot of prayer, a lot of stretching, a lot of discomfort, um, and always it, it pushed me toward a deeper reliance on God, mm-hmm. right? It, it really forced me. In seminary, we talk about connecting head and heart, mm-hmm. right? This experience really forced that connection to happen in a robust way mm-hmm. um, that resulted in a deeper reliance on God because you're sitting there praying that you're leading um, and, and shepherding folks well. But half the time, you have no clue. Um, you're yeah. just going on the, on <laughs> praying that grace will abound. Oh, oh, absolutely. I think that uh, one of the... Uh, priests that I serve with at Holy Communion, uh, Reverend Hester Mathis, that has been one of the things she says that has resounded with me. Grace abounds. Um, In my first year of, you know, I'm not ordained, but I'm I'm in the trenches. Um, In my first year, those were the words that meant a lot to me. Grace abounds. We're all going to make a lot of mistakes and we're going to hear about them. Man. And, and usually we're going to hear about him first and foremost from ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I can I think of um, how scared I was when I first got down here. I was mm. so worried about how do I, quote unquote, get it right. Right. Um, I'm this kid coming from, uh, well, I call myself a kid. Of I mean, you are. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I'm still pretty young. Y- you are. Oh, I'm this kid. I mean, coming. I am too, but I'm more in denial about it (laughs) (laughs) well for those who are listening i'm still on that slow march toward 30 so i'm still pretty young um but i came down here like man how are these folks going to receive me Mm -hmm. um will they allow me the space to pastor them Mm-hmm. Because you just because you're hired as pastor, because you're hired as resident, um, just because you're hired on as the intern doesn't mean any of those folks will see you as it. You have to grow into that position. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that until the end of my time in seminary when folks who I had known for a while began to call me pastor. Um, I'm like, I haven't finished seminary yet. I'm not ordained. 
And it was a realization that at that point I had transitioned from uh, Joshua, from um, elder, narcissist, whatever the title was, to pastor. That I had in some way began to pastor them, um, sometimes intentionally and sometimes without me even knowing. And realizing that that space is earned and it comes with time. Mm -hmm. Um, It comes with patience and it comes with walking alongside folks. And there's no... uh, there's no metric. Yeah. <laughs> it's not you put three years in and you become pastor, right? right? It's life begins to conspire in such a way that you serve as pastor for this person for a season or sometimes for a lifetime. Yeah. And you make space for what God is saying. Yes. Yes. What are some of the things that, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm a communicator and I hate, I hate trite language and overplayed language but here we go what have you learned from this extraordinary (laughs) year in this unparalleled chapter which it you know are we shocked anymore are we shocked anymore by 2020 i don't think so are we shocked anymore by 2021 Mm -hmm. what have you learned in this extraordinary year (sighs) i'm gonna start um with the personal and I don't know if it'll be too personal. Um, and I hope that for the listeners, a little bit of grace abound because I'm still processing. About the week after everything shut down, mm-hmm. um, I got word uh, via Facebook that my father was on a ventilator um, in New York City. Now, him and I did not have much of a relationship at all, right? Mm-hmm. But um, we were both now adults. And I had made some decisions to kind of narrow and cut off that relationship. And by literally scrolling through my timeline, finding out um, from um, my half-brother that he was on a ventilator, and then wrestling with what it meant to uh, try to reconcile. Mm. Um, And then ultimately waiting too long and him uh, passing and not being able to have said what needed to be said, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to say the words, to say, this is how I felt, this is to, to offer forgiveness, to offer reconciliation, um, did not happen. And then to be forced out of sanctuaries and into our homes. Mm-hmm. So to not have the incarnational church as a space yeah. where I could grieve and could lament to not be able to go back for any kind of funeral mm-hmm. um, or memorial services. Um, and then to just be under stress of pandemic, mm-hmm. what I learned from that is that God's love is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell yeah. you, that was one of the darkest times for me during the pandemic. I mean, I questioned a lot of stuff, including a call to ministry. Um, and it was on a Sunday. We have a thing. We had a thing at the uh, Mississippi Boulevard called Time to Talk with God that we would do prayer before service, basically. Mm-hmm. And we moved it virtually into little Zoom rooms or go to meeting rooms. And folks mm-hmm. had the link they could click on and, and get on for prayer if they so chose. And for like a good month, month and a half, I would get on every Sunday. No one would get on. And I'm just yeah. between. So all these things are swirling in my head. And one Sunday when I was feeling particularly low um, and was just kind of phoning it in, someone got on. Yeah. Um, her name is uh, Sister Linda. And she allowed me to just hold some space for her. She was going through um, 
a really dark moment in her own life and mm. um, just wanted someone to pray with and to speak with and to uh, remember um, and to, to just be. Yeah. And we were together for that time. And just be together just in be community. Together in community. Um, even and, if even if you weren't in the same room together. Exactly. And then somehow she put out a call. She said, hey, I think y'all should uh, join me for this time to talk to God. And over the ne- next year, it's been a year plus, um, a good chunk of us, of almost uh, 10 people rotating cast, have been on every Sunday morning for prayer. Um, and in hindsight, thinking about how God can find a way to put together the pieces, yeah. the broken pieces that you have into something that's stronger and more beautiful. Yeah. Um, that you might even be strong at the broken places. I used to think that that was uh, a cliche, but having walked through that, um, it's it's so much more immediate to me. Um, And so that's the the, the thing that I'm praising God for and the thing that I've learned through this season. But the other thing, um, and I don't want it to sound cliche, but I think the pandemic confirmed to me, um, and I'll use the millennial language, how trash we were at yeah. treating one another. Yeah. Right. We had yeah. really inept, really um, just bad ways. <laughs> yeah, because I think that right now, you know, we're we're so attuned to what's in our newsfeed. And right yeah. now what's in our newsfeed is we're still dealing with the fallout of the pandemic. But what was going on last year and what continues to go on are the pandemics of racism, mm-hmm. of division, of uh, intolerance on both sides, mm-hmm. on every side. So all of that was coming in at 1,000%. Mm-hmm. And, I, yeah. And I mean, I, I've had, I've spoken with folks from um, church and just from my uh, community that I'm building here in Memphis that say um, when we were going through the one-year memorial of George Floyd's killing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I had one person say to me, I was going through so much other stuff that I don't think I really processed what was happening. Like She was like, I can't remember seeing the report when it came out. I can't remember what I I felt when it first happened because I was also being assaulted by uh, stresses at work. Uh, the stress of the pandemic on top of all the things all the time. Exactly. And we have to, if we were really bad at how we interacted and treated one another before the trauma that we're coming out of this pandemic with that we've not yet been able to take a full inventory of Mm. will require that we lead with grace, that we lead with love, that we um, seek the best intention of the person, but also that we are grounded in our own selves as to what we believe and why we believe it and how we believe it, that we've wrestled with those things. Um, and that I think the last part of that, um, and it's, the, it's a quote I like to say that I borrow from one of my professors from seminary, is that we make hope a discipline. Yeah. Right. Not just this feeling, yes. not a sentiment, but a discipline it that we order our lives It has to be an intentional, like you choose hope. Yeah. Because um, yeah. sometimes you got to seek it out. I had to seek it out I still uh, last year and to right now because sometimes you look around and you don't see there, there's no reason to believe in it. Yeah. 
in, in your job was to be the communicator for yeah. the church in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> I laugh and I tell the story that when I was interviewing for my jobs um, back at the end of 2019, mm-hmm. I told Bishop Phoebe and my uh boss at Holy Communion, uh, Father Sandy Webb. Oh yeah, I've worked in communications for years. I can do print. I can do social media. I can do a little bit of video. Um, I can do, but I said, I, I don't know a lot about live streaming and I don't know a lot <laughs> about uh, audio. I don't know a lot about podcasting and radio. And, and they both were like, oh, that's fine. I, we don't, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> We, you know, we'll we'll probably think to that in the next few years, but we'll we'll live into it. So it was baptism by fire, <laughs> and all of a sudden, um, we when we can't meet together mm-hmm. in uh, a corporate building, like it, it, the I you know with I was excited to take on the mantle, yeah. but I had no clue no clue that I was going to be entering ministry so, so, uh, with such a fervent energy. Yeah. I mean, it was overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, um, the first kind of preaching moment, the first, uh, it was a reflection for church off staff meeting that I did post, uh, the onset of the pandemic. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was I think April or May. And the text I chose was, you know, the text of the Emmaus Road. Mm. Um, and at the end mm. of that, uh, we get, you know, those famous words, and he blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. Can For listeners who may not be able to recall that story, i.e. me, <laughs> can you can you give it a, a, the, the story of the road to the man? Um, Yes. Right, so these two disciples, so the text doesn't necessarily name them. And so they're considered kind of, of the outer circle. So not the, like the 12 apostles, not the, not the guys at the front stage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they are the outer disciples. And they're walking on this road toward Emmaus. Mm. And they are basically lamenting the fact that um, the one who was crucified, the one, the one who they had hope in, Christ Jesus, was crucified by the uh, Roman Empire and those who conspired with them. Um, and they're just talking about, man, this really sucks. Like we had, uh, and one of the, one of the verses says, uh, we had hoped. Yeah. Right. And so as they're walking along, someone joins them and ends up being Jesus, but they don't recognize him. And so mm. they're telling him, uh, they're telling Jesus about Jesus, about his ministry, about all the things that they had hoped for and said, we had hoped he was the one. Yeah. We had hoped that this would happen. We had hoped. And that's really the crux of the story. And they end up getting to uh, the Emmaus and they're sitting down for a meal. And while they're sitting at the meal, Jesus steps forward, takes the bread. He blesses it and he breaks it. Mm. Um, and the text says their eyes were opened. Right. And they recognize, oh, my gosh, this is the one we had hoped for. Right. That our hope that was crucified is not dead, mm. but is alive. And um, between in the reflection, I made um, a point to hang out in the we had hoped 
yeah. section mm-hmm. as well as blessed and broken. Those two things can be held together simultaneously. Yeah. You can feel broken. Heck, you can be broken. Yeah. And there's still are. blessings that are in the mix. You're still being held together somehow. Yeah. And and I went there because I felt that that was the only way to describe what I was feeling. I felt broken. And yet I had the incredible blessing of still having a roof over my head. I had the incredible blessing of still having an opportunity to serve in an incredible congregation in here at Church Health. I had the blessing of, um, as old folk that raised me would say, being in my right mind and having an activity of my lens, right? Yes. And so how do I navigate between those two things? It, it, It starts with the fact that it's Christ who's holding my brokenness and my blessedness. You know, usually when we are wrapping up this interview segment, uh, Bishop Phoebe and others like to leave it on the question, what's giving you hope? And I think (laughs) this entire time that we've been talking together has been, that's, uh, this is what is giving us hope. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, The fact that we have been through the ringer and are going through the Mm -hmm. ringer and we aren't sufficient and we will continue to not be sufficient, but it's all okay. Yeah. And, but what are some of the little things? (laughs) What's the little thing? I'm going to start off with the big thing and then I'll get to a little thing. Um, I think the big thing that's giving me hope is the reminder that the church, big C church exists across time and space. Yeah that those who are part of the church triumphant mm. are also still part of the church temporal yeah. or, or, or militant as some folks call it, yeah. um, that we are connected to people who have gone on to glory, yeah. who are seated in the balcony of glory. And there, as the Hebrews text talks about, they are invested in what we are doing and they are not complete unless we are continuing to live into our purpose. Yeah. Um, and it means a lot, particularly as a, as a minister, as a pastor, who lost a lot of personal folks during this pandemic, mm-hmm. mentors, loved ones, um, as well as church members who I might have only gotten to see a handful of times before the pandemic um, set in. Um, folks who uh, we just lost a really like a pillar of the church the other week out of nowhere and but to know that they exist alongside Mm -hmm. me as I continue to walk this journey of ministry um is one thing that gives me hope and I'm leaning into that a lot this season but um other things that give me hope um my my friends here I have somehow built a strong network of friends who through a supper club (laughs) we started a supper club I've heard I've heard about this supper club (laughs) that you are a member of it's got some good, you've got some good people that you're eating with. They're, they are incredible. Um, and folks who have gone through a lot um, and, and folks who have experienced a lot, but also genuinely people who have kept me grounded, who've mm-hmm. kept me lifted up, um, who have given me space to not be pastor. Yeah. Right. Who have shoved a beer in my hand and was like, dude, don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah. What is, <laughs> what is that like? Oh what is that like gosh. to... Do you slip into pastor mode like without knowing it? Does it does it just happen? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, because my, the reason I ask is I know that I'm not a pastor, 
but my daughter has been hanging out a lot with me this summer and she always makes fun of me because she can hear the tone of my voice when I start easing in to work Emily and I'm not mom anymore. And then she like calls me on it and says, what was that about? What was this? Oh, or she'll say, why were you so nice on the phone to that person? (laughs) Because I, apparently I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of rough on her. What, What is that like? So, I mean, even before the pandemic, even before I finished seminary, one thing that uh, my partner, Kay, that she pointed out to me was I'd be cooking yeah. and I'd be preaching. Like, yeah. I'd be preaching under my breath, working through a close or working through a point, and I wouldn't really, I wouldn't realize it fully. Yeah. Um, or I'd be or I'd bust into a hymn. I'm good for busting into a, busting into a hymn randomly at the worst possible time. Um, <laughs> You'll just be like at the grocery store. <laughs> Just All of a sudden, we're gonna have a praise side break. Side the cross, yeah. Like, what? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, that, but also, I know, especially when I came down to Memphis, mm. um, coming out of seminary and all the pastoral ethics stuff they teach you, and you can't be friends with your members. All, all the stuff that you get, I was really kind of on edge yeah. about any kind of uh, congregational interaction that would that I thought would make me uh, bypass the line between pastor and parishioner. Mm. And semi soon after getting down here, I'm going to shout him out. Um, I got, I met a guy named Lionel who goes to Mississippi Boulevard, who's really becoming like a brother. And he just like would not let me be pastor in the way that I thought I needed to be pastor. He would not let me be all prim and proper and and informal he really forced me out of my comfort zone. And through that, I've been able to walk alongside him and he alongside me. Mm. Um, and we've both been able to strengthen one another. But it was because he was like, dude, you don't need to come in here trying to pray for everything. You don't need to come in here thinking you can't be your full self. Mm. Just mm. who are you? You're not minister. So Josh, right? Who, what's going on? Tell me what's happening with you. He would force me to tell him what was really going on um, and allow that vulnerability to not get in the way of, but to deepen our, our opportunity to be in relationship. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's so, shout out to Lionel. Shout out to all the Lionels in our lives who show us that we can be who we want to be, yeah. but also be ourselves. Yeah. Those things can can connect. I mean, I think that a lot of times you, we look at what we aspire to be and then throw the baby out with the bathwater, mm-hmm. which is who we really are, and that we can we can be both. And and I'm better because of it. I yeah. am formed as a minister better because of those kind of interactions. So I can come to this new role with much more authenticity mm. and and not having to negotiate between all the different hats I think I'm supposed to be wearing and to just show up much more fully for our staff members at Church Health who mm. have been holding the line since March 2020 and have not let their foot off the gas. God bless right. every single person at Church Health. Yeah. I could grief. I, I just, I'm never cease to be amazed at the capacity for love and expertise that comes out of that amazing organization well joshua we are going to um transition to one of those wonderful hymns um and then uh and maybe you can sing along with it
Joshua, tell me, will you share um, with our listening audience what you shared to me just now about the song that we just listened to? Oh my goodness. So that song. Because that's a um, song you selected for us. Yeah. Everything's going to be all right, which is part of um, a kind of bridge song called First Start with All Right into Everything's Gonna Be All Right by PJ Morton. If you're not a PJ Morton fan, you should be. He is a PK um, because his father is Bishop Paul Morton Jr. out of Louisiana. I was sharing with you that um, he was in Memphis at the top of June, I believe it was June 5th or 6th, at a free concert downtown. And I went out there in the rain because I'm a huge PJ fan. And he started that song. Um, in the beginning of it is much slower and almost hymn-like. And he kept repeating, uh, I think the uh, words are, Oh, my Lord, I can't take no more. When it rains, it pours. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. You can check the score. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. He kept singing it over and over, um, partly because his last live concert was in Memphis in February 2020. And it was a woman standing in front of me. Um, and because he's a PK, because his music has that church sound, he has a strong church contingent of fans. Um, but she was standing in front of me and she began to just openly weep. She began to weep and, and cry mm -hmm. out. Um, I could tell she was holding on to some stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I was there. My partner was standing next to me. Kay had some uh, tissue she was able to give her. And we began, she began to pray in the middle of a concert in the middle of downtown Memphis uh, because she hadn't been able to be in church and like, almost a year and a half and we're all carrying more than what feels like more than we can bear mm. and that song I think blurs the fine categories that we try to have between sacred and secular and ushers us into uh, a, a much more authentic uh, encounter with God encounter with the divine when what we need is an assurance that it's all going to be all right we don't know how it's going to work out but when we check yes. the score the track record says it's going to be all right. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, what I had prepared next was kind of a either or sort of a, mm. a little fun game for us to play. And the first thing that I was going to ask you uh, was if you had to choose between live sports or live music. Oh. But I think that I think we may have just gotten our answer yep. to that question. Live music any day, every day. Yeah. yeah. Preaching or pastoring. That's a hard one. I know. That's a really hard one. It's like trying to choose between your children. Yeah. And, and before the pandemic, I think the answer really would have been preaching. Um, I think I'm going to have to say pastoring uh, for now. But I do love to preach. I love standing behind that sacred desk and, and trying yeah. to proclaim what thus saith the Lord. Um, but yeah. pastoring. Okay. Uh, sweets or salty? Sweets. Okay. Sweet. Do tell. Do tell. So I'm the cook in my relationship. Yeah. Kay is the baker. Um, she is an incredible baker. We have a binding lifetime agreement that for every birthday, I'm getting a three layer carrot cake. Um, and she has been, uh, <laughs> she has not reneged on that deals uh, uh, to this point. Um, she's an incredible baker. And I mean, I always liked sweets, but being able to eat her sweets is a privilege. Um, and so that's why I, I, I'm always with the sweets. What are you obsessed with these days? <sighs> Anything like uh, books, music, podcast. Two things. Um, 
I remain obsessed with Harry Potter. Um, I'm okay. a Potterhead. Okay. And notwithstanding all the stuff that has come out in recent um, uh, years with the author, but I am a, a committed Potterhead. It was one of the things I loved as a kid. And mm. through the pandemic, it's been a saving grace. There mm. was up until mm. a week and a half ago, a guy on YouTube named Sidecar Sam, who did Sidecar Stories, who's a mm. voice actor. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, someone hit him with a copyright infringement and the channel's gone. But he had no. read through the entire Harry Potter uh, canon and would voice them as if it was like it was better than Audible. Yeah. And so I was list I've listened to him from So all he was just a season. super fan yeah. who Well Love actually it. he was a voice actor who had okay. discovered Harry Potter in his yeah. adult life. Gotcha. Gotcha. And um committed to reading the entire series um and from his home with like a mic that we're talking into. Um, and eventually it got bigger and folks started helping him with the production. But I was obsessed. Every day I was listening to it, especially before going to bed. Um so that and Netflix, like everybody else, um, <laughs> I've started Manifest, which apparently yeah. is the thing that everyone's watching. I've now. got that in my in my queue. It's good. Yeah. Thus far, it's it's it's, it's drawing me in. Um, just finished rewatching Money Heist, mm-hmm. uh, which is an incredible show on Netflix. I'm finishing up the fourth season of Black Lightning. So mm-hmm. all the binging that everyone's been doing, yeah. I have been participating with you. Yeah. Um, and I guess the last thing I'm obsessed with is because a friend of mine have been talking about um, her is uh, Kate Bowler. Yeah. Um, her words have been bomb uh, yeah. during this season. Man, when I've not had the words to say, Kate has had the words for me to offer up. Um, if you don't know her, she's an incredible author, a professor at Duke Divinity School who went through um, a, a, a cancer. Mm-hmm has come on come out the other side but is still kind of always living with that over the canopy of her life um and wrote an incredible book called everything happens for a reason Mm -hmm. and other lies i've loved yes yes Uh, and has a new book coming out i think in september uh, that calls that talks about human being human as a chronic condition Mm. Uh, so those are the things i'm obsessed with well um i'm kind of obsessed with the fact that uh i realized that uh the next show that we're followed by on Faithfully Memphis here on WYXR is The Mystic. And yes. you um, are actually, you contribute to that show too. So those of you who are listening because you're obsessed with Joshua Narcisse, today is your <laughs> lucky day because you're going to get uh, a little bit extra Joshua uh, and, in the next few minutes. And I can uh, go ahead and give you a sneak peek and say uh, this conversation, this month's conversation is led by Kirk Whalum. So, you know, Mm. it's going to be good. Mm. Um, And if you've been if you're a consistent mystic listener, Joy is back. Joy is uh, Joy Marseille is back on the other side of motherhood. Um, She was gone to uh, have an incredibly cute and amazing baby girl. Um, And this conversation is called Am I the Only One Who's Overwhelmed? talking about as we're transitioning into a post-pandemic space all the angst that's coming along with that and so it's a good conversation and I do hope that um, it blesses somebody well Joshua I am so grateful for you being on the show with us today Um, thank you for uh, spending some time with me and some time with the folks who are tuning in Um, 
thanks to all y'all who were tuning in to Faithfully Memphis. Um, if you like what you heard, be sure to find the Faithfully Memphis podcast on Apple, Spotify, all the places. And if you can, leave us a review because that helps us to expand our reach. Um, and I just am so grateful that uh, this show exists. And I am, uh, yeah. Yeah. So until next time, stay safe and stay positive. Bye.